0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have another very special guest with me, Mr. Paul Hakim. He is an expert in commercial real estate and a lot of other things that I'll let him explain. Paul, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you so much for being here. Why don't you uh, tell the people a little bit about what it is that you do?
1: Okay, so uh, again, Paul Hakim, Pioneer Realty Advisors. Uh, I'm based in Kingston, New York. Uh, I do commercial real estate. Uh, we concentrate a lot on after tax uh, investment uh, analysis. Uh, we syndicate uh, a multitude of different deals uh, through different asset classes. Uh, and uh, control and manage a portfolio uh, up and down the East Coast.
0: Okay. So like, would you have an example of uh, any recent projects that you did?
1: Uh, So most recently, uh, we uh, just broke a portfolio apart, uh, included a, uh, there were 10 parcels, uh, including a uh, general aviation airport, uh, which we moved through the contract at the closing uh, we ended up with a 40,000-square-foot uh, industrial building, 20,000 square feet of office space, and some self-storage. Uh, and we, uh, before that, bought a 105,000-square-foot industrial building uh, down in Greenville, South Carolina. Okay. So I
0: much should, experience. I say
1: we took control of a building in Greenville, South Carolina. We have not closed on it yet. We uh, did a master lease with
0: an option. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, just some simple stuff. Um, Now I kind of want to hear a little bit more about before you made it and before you were an expert and hear about some of the troubling times. Like, how did you start out? What were some of the struggles that you had coming up?
1: Well, thank you for the expert label. Uh, I don't know how uh, well that is deserved. Uh, But I've had a lot of, uh, you know, (laughs) unique experiences which combined have made me uh, a diverse uh, investor and uh, commercial real estate practitioner. Um, I've touched a lot through my career and experienced a lot uh, as a principal. Uh, which uh, you know that is the value I bring to my clients, and the perspective I bring to my clients is you know what I've experienced as a principal. Uh, you know, it was always very entrepreneurial. Uh, Was uh, with my brother, and you know, there were some others in the neighborhood. We mowed lawns, raked leaves, you know, all those things you can't find kids to do anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, but through junior high school and high school, you know, that's how we, you know, made extra cash for to buy records and eight tracks and skateboards. Uh, So, uh, you know, again, always. you know, was able to make enough money to enjoy, you know, having fun and doing things through, through high school. And, you know, back then we even traveled in high school. We used to go on road trips and, you know, things that are unheard of now with uh, nice. kids currently in high school. Um, but, uh, then, uh, I went to Niagara university and, uh, during my freshman year, uh, somehow connected with, uh, networking connected with, uh, made friends with, uh, this guy who was the campus beer distributor, and mm-hmm. uh, back in that day, in those days, the uh, drinking age was still eighteen. So, the college experience was a lot different than it is now. Uh, so, you know, there was open alcohol consumption and partying on campus, and he actually had a relationship with the local beer distributor and delivered kegs and cases and uh, alcohol onto campus and all the apartments surrounding it. Uh, I kind of helped him uh, work with him a little bit uh, second semester and then first semester sophomore year. Uh, And then I started to take over second semester of my sophomore year. So we would go around through all the dorms. Uh, We had handwritten flyers written and we had a wall mounted telephone, you know, back in our apartment and it would ring and we'd take orders for deliveries on you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, uh, also get approached the bars late night for you know people wanting kegs for after hours, and okay. I had access to the truck with the keg handles on the side and could go to the warehouse and grab that at two o'clock in the morning and uh, you know learned a lot about collecting money,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, you know, and dealing with you know cash because you know late at night uh a lot of singles back then um but uh you know it was uh you know cash flow management and uh i could go to the distributor and sign out products, so i had an open account which i need to manage and you know quickly learned uh margin markup and you know different things uh you know i guess as elements of the business you know fast forward to senior year uh was uh Having a lot of fun senior year, uh, was really not aggressively looking for a job. Uh, When I was home over Christmas break and uh, Easter break uh, with my father and my brother started looking at uh, some multifamily investment properties. Uh, We ended up buying, you know, soon after I graduated a four family uh, for Uh, $37,000. We still own it. Uh, That was uh, 1986. we're actually just really renovating the hell out of it right now. I uh, needed a little bit of uh, lipstick. Uh, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, now uh, we renovated that building. I soon after uh, started uh, some other construction activities. We were renovating other buildings. Um, I uh, became a dealer for tri-steel structures, which was clear span C-channel steel. Uh, residential buildings Uh, then uh, we morphed into commercial metal buildings Uh, i was a regional rep for seco kirby and star metal buildings Uh, and we were building you know commercial warehouse space Uh, and uh, then i uh, complemented that with an excavating business so i had dump trucks and other heavy equipment around and you know we were traveling around doing this uh, construction
0: were the metal businesses your business or were you working for them
1: i i was a franchisee i was a dealer for okay them. so i was selling and then i would gc the projects
0: interesting
1: right so and- after building a few houses i realized uh, that I, the residential construction wasn't for me you know we were dealing with people making you know those design and emotional decisions um yep and uh i quickly found dealing with business people and doing commercial buildings uh and office buildings and the like was uh definitely the path
0: for me different
1: relationship with the customer
0: it is i mean it's still based on a relationship but i think you really hit it you know when i first got into it people were like why don't you just do residential it's so much easier and all this stuff and yeah i'm sure it is but dealing with the emotional part of it it's like how can you I don't know. There was just something about that. That yeah. Well, and, and you know,
1: when when I first started licensed, uh, you know, I was showing people houses, and you know, you traipse people through a dozen houses, and you know, they were all great, but I didn't like the kitchen, the tile, right. and the bathroom, and you know, the world isn't perfect. You've got to do yeah. and make some renovations, and you know, then when I transitioned into the commercial world, uh, it was great to uh deal with business people because you know you could contemplate you know what their decision would be you know based on economics you know mm-hmm. so it was utility and economics um you know when they could get past colors and uh you know those other superficial type of characteristics that you know is real estate it's all about the economics
0: now how was the transition for you was it easier or do you feel like you stumbled on some
1: well, it was easy for me because I I made the transition as a principal. Okay, mm-hmm. not necessarily in the marketplace. So gotcha. we started analyzing commercial buildings and talking to commercial tenants, as opposed to developing or uh, renovating multifamilies. All right. Okay. So uh, my transition into the commercial world was more as a principal uh although i am a licensed real estate broker uh i really do not list and sell i take on uh portfolios and do some problem solving uh, i work with some family offices and um you know just most recently over the last couple of years have uh, unwound a couple large family portfolios you know going through the subdivision process because you know going through the land development and construction business. I've got a different perspective, all right? So, you know, uh, I can do site plans. Uh, I was uh, 25 years on the town of Hurley planning board, 15 as chair. I was on the county planning board for 10. So I've got planning and zoning background, uh, but Mm -hmm. from a practical perspective, I really understand uh, grading and design of a site. I can quickly estimate what is it going to take, you know, what are the obstacles, what's it going to take to overcome, get utilities in the ground, all that type of budgeting, all right, because I've got hands-on perspective. Uh, When, you know, you get bids coming in on a project, you know, I can see and question and go, wait, why is this electrical number so high? Because I've got hands-on experience you know doing that so when somebody comes in and says hey that's going to take me 20 hours to to, to go you know to complete mm-hmm. uh you know i can see and negotiate a little bit better because uh, i can break it down and walk through it with the contractor uh to see uh what it is and you know in construction that's where you save your money uh you know it's through that bidding and also through the design uh phase uh when you're working with your architect you've got to get things locked and loaded you know change orders are your most expensive thing in construction right so you you want to be locked and loaded and make sure that your design is on track uh to save as much money as possible
0: Mm. so you went right into owning um and then what kind of happened from there so like how long did it take you before you feel like you, you know? Well, we went through. I I went through some gyrations
1: here. Okay. So, uh, 26 years ago, I live in Kingston, New York, we're 90 miles north of New York City. Uh, we were an IBM town, population mm-hmm. of 40,000, uh, 7,000 employees at the IBM plant. uh okay. 26 and a half years ago. Uh, they went from 7,000 employees to like three over a six-month period. They shuttered mm. that plant as well as three other plants in the Hudson Valley within an hour radius, radius of us. So it was mm. devastating for us. Um, the, it took us a long time to you know, re-engage in uh, our multiple listing book. Back when we had a multiple listing book, you know, went from about a quarter inch thick to two inches thick. Uh, They moved and offered all of their employees, they were like, hey, you don't have a job or you can move to Austin, Raleigh. They had different plants that were open. And they gave them a relocation opportunity, which devastated our residential market. Uh, We had just delivered a 10 lot 30 acre subdivision, residential subdivision, paid the roads, got the CEO. We had our spec house built and then they announced, uh, we oh sold that last lot a year ago, uh, 25 years later. Oh my right? God. So that, that's what happened in our resident, in our residential market. The commercial market was also very stagnant. So I got distracted, uh, and, uh, started pursuing other lines of business uh in 1994 95 uh with a uh, friend from college uh we started marketing prepaid calling cards uh so you know it's kind of obsolete now you've seen them like bodegas and stuff or you know to call latin american and they're more international cards now Mm but they were the mainstay of business travel before cell phones, right? Cause yep. they were staying in hotels, the fees were exorbitant. So you use prepaid calling cards. Also in college, we used to stand in line at the payphone on the dorm floor. Okay. And either call home, collect, or use a prepaid calling card. Mm. All right. So what we did was we were buying and aggregating millions of minutes a month from MCI. And we, Uh, went to college alumni associations, and we worked with them, and they uh, printed customized prepaid calling cards for their university and sold them to their students and their alumni. Uh, So we had uh, like 50 colleges and universities signed up on our program. Uh, Syracuse University, for example, had a card, prepaid calling card for each of their starting football and basketball team. You know, because the alumni loved it. Right. right. So they were rechargeable. Uh we were getting a third, they were getting a third, and MCI you, was getting a third.
0: You were getting a third.
1: We were getting a third. Yeah. So you made so a ton. We were absorbing the we were absorbing the cost of the printing. Uh you know, but this is back in the days when you had a separate long distance bill. You got yeah. a local bill and you got a long distance bill. Yeah. But we saw the writing on the wall, cause we had cell, you know, all of a sudden we had cell phones, you know, mm. so like, whoa, well, wait a minute, you know, the world is going to change. So yeah. we moved through the company, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, volume started to decline pretty rapidly. So there was another aggregator who absorbed our company. We did okay. Uh, the cash flow was good for, for a while. We had a good run for a couple of years. Um, But what really motivated us to move through the company was we had already had and started another company in concept. Um, We paid and did some market research. uh, And again, you gotta turn the clock back a little bit because this is right in 98 when fractional share accounting uh, became mainstream. Okay. okay at a certain point you were not allowed to or you could not buy ten dollars of home depot okay you bought right a share of home depot yeah okay so the way the stock market and the system worked is you bought shares and blocks of shares not dollar amounts all right so a lot changed with the fractional share accounting in 1998 and also at that point uh we had the deregulation of the telephone industry and you're probably not old enough to remember, uh, but your parents would, uh, when uh, all of a sudden they could compete for your long distance business. So you'd get calls all the time from MCI, AT&T, and all the long distance carriers. I think Sprint and mm-hmm. there was another one. All these names are obsolete now. Yeah. Um, but uh, the... Uh, they would offer you to, for a six month commitment, move your long distance over uh, to us, they'd give you 6,000 frequent flyer miles on American Airlines. Mm-hmm. So you'd stay with them for six months and then the other carrier would call you and say, "Right, hey, oh, you moved, hey, switch, I'll give you 6,000 frequent flyer miles. So we were like, hey, there's gotta be a better way to attract and retain consumers. So my partner and I uh, hired Yankelovich, a national marketing research firm, and we did market research and correlated uh, the relationship of owning shares of a company and your commitment to buy their products, okay? So you think about it, if you're in in that long distance situation, <clears throat> if you're an AT&T shareholder, all right, and a a competitor calls you to go switch, you know, it's a commodity. So, you know, the pricing's not much different. You know, we got better service that, you know, relationship. Are you going to switch? You're a shareholder. Right. So, you know, you're going to have some brand loyalty. So we uh, actually have four patents uh, around that. You can go on Google, search Google patents. uh, My name pops up. It's pretty cool. Really? Uh, we, we patented the uh, ability to reward consumers for their patronage. So when we sold the uh, credit card company, uh, we uh, were already uh, into a, uh, another business. And that business was uh, uh, a customer retention and uh, customer loyalty program uh, that we had developed. Uh, Around that time, uh, there was a lot going on uh, from a technology and even a regulatory perspective. Uh, The uh, fractional share accounting was introduced by the SEC. Uh, At a certain point, you were only able to buy shares of Uh, and a number of shares of a company. You couldn't say, I wanna buy $10 of Home Depot. You'd have to say, I wanna buy one, two, or 10 shares of Home Depot. Right. Um, So uh, there was also a lot of technology things happening where there was, you were able to do screen scraping. You would be able to register your credit card with me and I could see what your charges were and be able to handle a points-based system. So we effectively, uh turned a uh frequent flyer mile program into it we wrapped a frequent flyer mile program around a mutual fund so we started a mutual fund uh with state street bank uh we first we raised a million dollars from a seed investor um and uh we approached state street bank and we became fund number 25 in their family of funds uh, SSGA state street bank is the granddaddy of the mutual fund industry. So it was great to have a 800 pound gorilla, uh, in our quarter when we were prosecuting a, uh, prospectus with the sec where, wow. uh, we were not selling shares, we were awarding shares. Okay. Right. So if you think about a solicitation document, you know, it's all about the risk of investing here, they're not investing. You know, they're, they're giving their loyalty and getting their cash back and their points uh, through our program. Uh, you know, at, uh, when we started and what really gave us the idea uh, was, you know, we saw what was happening in customer retention between the long-distance companies where they would uh, award you uh, eight, 10,000 frequent flyer miles from American Airlines uh, for a six-month commitment to not change your long-distance service. Uh and then people would flip immediately because they'd offer the next company would offer you ten thousand frequent flyer miles mm-hmm. and go back to them for six months. Um, if I remember correctly, you know, the average long, long distance bill at that point, if going back to the, the PowerPoints. Uh you know, the average long distance bill monthly at that point was $38. Uh the cost of acquisition for a consumer. Uh, was around $225 because they were buying American Airlines uh frequent flyer miles to give away. They had co- active call centers calling and pounding people on the phone all the time, uh which cost them in long distance. It's not like today we're right. voice over IP. You know, so the call center world was very expensive at that point. So, you know, we kind of developed a better mousetrap because again, we hired uh, Yankilovich, a national market research company to go out there and correlate the relationship between companies you own stock in and your patronage of that company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, long distance is one, but you know, you think about uh, if you're have a big stake in mobile, are you going to pull into Exxon? You're going to go to mobile, right? Right. So, you know, there is a correlation there. Uh, We, I grew the company uh, through multiple rounds of uh, venture capital uh, and a merger with another company uh, in San Francisco, which resulted in me moving my family out there. Uh, Soon after we moved out there, uh, Clyder Perkins was our lead venture capitalist. Uh, uh, The dot com bubble burst, uh, so the funding changed a lot uh we had trouble raising money to keep the company afloat uh we were in you know high burn development mode uh, a lot of employees uh so we ended up uh merging the company with another called you promise uh if you go into the grocery store you'll see it a lot of consumer packaged goods it's a letter u with a cap and gown on it uh okay. that indicates like procter and gamble is in on it Right. There's all different ways that you can earn points. Uh, I believe mobile is still on the program, uh, Home Depot, but you they can see what you're buying and your points vest into shares of that company. So mm-hmm. uh, they're, the company you promise, it's a 529 tax deferred college savings plan. So you, your brother, and you know your parents can all save their points and direct it to Little Johnny's college savings account as a tax deferred mm. savings program. Uh, our mutual fund uh, was a lot more liberal, you know, but it was a taxable event. Any growth on it or anything you received was a taxable event. Um, but uh, again, prosecuting that uh, prospectus with the SEC. Uh, I, that was my graduate (laughs) program, you know, I learned a lot in six months with, uh, you know, again, some really good, powerful attorneys, Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just kind of learned how that disclosure world worked. Um, soon after that, uh, I consulted with the company for a while and, uh, came back to my real estate roots. Uh, so while I was doing the steel buildings, uh, back in the early nineties, uh, I had built a bunch of, uh, self-storage facilities for people. And I'm like, I just didn't understand the economics. I was like, who's going to store stuff, self-storage, you know, and those were kind of the early days. And I wish I, I wish I had built like 20 complexes mm, yeah. <laughs> 25 years ago and had those right. free and clear right now. Uh, because, you know, never thought that industry would turn into what it is today.
0: Yeah, it's Uh,
1: While I was in California, I saw a different concept and I started a different type of self storage. Uh, This was mobile storage. Uh, You probably see pods around, which is a larger Mm -hmm. container. Uh, We were running trucks like Home Depot has with the forklift on the back and we deliver five by eight storage containers two-year yard for you to load then we'd come pick them up and stack them you know three high five deep in the warehouse so it was kind of arbitrage on rent you know so it was you know rent real estate by the square foot and then lease it back out by the cubic foot right so uh what uh i didn't anticipate and what uh Led me to move through that business <laughs> uh, was uh, the service component. You know, unlike a hmm. fixed self storage facility, running trucks on the road, stuck in people's yards, you know, the okay. forklift damaged my driveway. The guy was supposed to be here an hour ago. I've got movers waiting. Yeah. Uh, You know, that just brought it to a whole nother level. Uh, Moved through that business, sold that to a uh, large moving and storage company. Uh, And uh, learned a lot about marketing in that one because uh, your typical self storage facility competes at a six mile radius, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, I was competing with 20 public storages because I, I could be 15 minutes away because you didn't come to me, I came right. to you, so right. I could cover uh, some big geography right with one central warehouse. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I, I was kind of infiltrating all of these different markets, uh, and you know it was pretty cool just to see how all of those companies were positioning, and all that type of good stuff. Uh, and then, uh, after that, uh, I was back to my commercial real estate, uh, managing our portfolio, uh, lease some space to a, uh, regional bank, uh, who I had been referring a lot of business to, uh, you know, as you know, we do a lot of networking. We do a lot of marketing sessions. I was coming across a lot of deals and I was referring people like, Hey, I closed a deal with this bank.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. You should
1: go go over there they were good they were aggressive uh, for a for a regional bank they had a ten million dollar legal lending limit and weren't afraid to use it um, and again this was like oh, let's say 2003 to 2007 okay mm-hmm. before the before the downturn uh, uh, the bank had approached me and said hey you referred all this business over to us you know, why aren't we paying you? So I was like, hey, so we worked out a referral fee and I was a commercial loan officer, uh, kind of an independent consultant for them. Uh, It was pretty cool. I was out, you know, hunting. And, you know, in those days, everybody was into real estate, right? Everybody was buying real estate. The money was flowing uh you know it's probably the closest thing i could have experienced to selling crack right because <laughs> everybody wanted to buy real estate it was like hey i bought a building hey i'm buying another building mm. uh you know in the downturn that caught up with a lot of people not as much on the commercial but a lot of residential you know uh, flippers and you know, are right. renting them out you know got in trouble um And, uh, you know, so I originated about $170 million worth of loans, uh, during a five year period. Uh, so again, I was just the sales, I'd pass it on to an underwriter and somebody internally. So, you know, again, I was in a really good position because I'm exposed to a lot of deals. Uh, you know, when you go to marketing meetings and, you know, they were always amazed. It was like, Hey, I go to the meetings and <laughs> somebody presented that building. I said, Hey, you know, this bank will do that. And here's approximately what a mm-hmm. rate would be. And, you know, here's the underwriting requirements and we get an application, you know, wow. as opposed to the, you know, passive loan officer, you know, sitting waiting for the referrals to come in. Right. Uh, you know, and now that you know how marketing sessions work, you can see there's a, you get exposed to a lot of diverse deals here. Yeah. Um, during that time period, uh, know, we did a couple of developments, uh, renovated a 30,000 square foot medical office building. Uh, that was a nursing home converted that into medical office space, $7 million project, uh, built an office building. Uh, yeah, did, did some stuff there and then I uh, have been just traveling
0: and working on portfolio stuff since. It's amazing. So last question for you, what do you think the future holds for commercial real estate? Like what do you think is going to happen over the next couple of years?
1: Well, uh, I, you know, it, I, I wish I had that crystal ball, you know, yeah, there is, you know, it's in, interesting to see you know we saw some cap rate compression on multi-family there for a little while mm-hmm. Those cap rates are starting to creep back up uh, you know rates are going to start creeping up a little bit that's going to affect a lot uh, you know we've got some great incentives out there people need to be taking you know advantage of cost segregation studies and sucking yeah. out accelerating their depreciation uh you know there's some concern that 1031s could be uh eliminated yeah Uh, so we're or we you know our acquisitions that we're doing now we're uh buying in land trusts uh so that we don't face in face any issues we'll be able to move through properties and just keep the assets in the trusts Mm -hmm. uh you know we're also uh working on executing a transaction right now with a deferred sales trust, which is somewhat like a 1031, but not. It actually, you can get the same results, uh, but you got to manipulate a little bit different here uh, from a transactional perspective. Uh, Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I think everybody's gonna have to get a little creative. Uh, I think there's always gonna be opportunity and you can make a lot of money in the commercial real estate. The big question is, you know, when we move through real estate into the next piece of real estate, uh, how that will be taxed, or if it's taxed at all. You right. Know, we've got great benefits with 1031 exchanges, which incent us to move through and move up, you know, from one property to the other. And you know, you look at your average person that's doing that, and you know, you, you know the you know the mo. You know, they buy a couple buildings a year. And sell a couple buildings a year. So they're mm. constantly buying and improving. Then they sell that at a market cap rate, and then they go look for the next deal where they can go improve. Improvement means injection of capital into a community and a piece of real estate. Okay, they're paying contractors, the assessment's gonna go up on the real estate. You don't realize the effect of 1031s has on our global. It's economy, huge. Okay. It's huge because you know you don't ten thirty you know you don't ten thirty one sideways, right? You'd stay where you are. You're going to ten thirty one yep. and go do it again, right? You're going to go create value again, of course, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that is realized because I see it every day of what you know my clients and friends are doing when they buy a piece, you know, they're 1031-ing and going and spending a lot of money behind it and infusing that capital into a community. Mm. And, you know, that was the real premise with Opportunity Zones. You know, right. it was a way to get money out of the stock market and invest it onto Main Street. You know, either into, you know, directly into the Main Street business or into real estate projects uh, on those Main Streets.
0: Right, exactly. So what's something that would be helpful to you um you know do you have some website podcasts anything you want people to know about
1: um well i'm pioneer realty advisors i advise on all types of deals uh, you know i specially specialize in deal structure uh you know how do you structure the entity properly how do you bring the uh, investors in properly and you know obviously analyze to what the most efficient amount of debt uh I'm, I'm not one of those guys who is like hey the best amount of debt is the most you can get you know mm-hmm. uh you can analyze pretty easily to see you know what the most efficient amount of debt is to get you to realize your five or ten year business plan right right, right. so uh it's just a different way of investing and uh you know we really look at the after tax because there's so many the bundle of benefits that comes with a with real estate ownership, isn't just the positive cash flow. Right. You know? So you've got to really, you know, look at the other benefits. And sometimes, especially now with the cost seg, those other benefits, a lot of times outweigh the cash flow, right? Yeah. That accelerated depreciation, uh, you know, and the timing of when you do that cost segregation study based on your clients taxable events that they've got going on in the background. Yeah. So understanding the whole picture. Um, you know, we're more catering to people who, uh, have a diverse portfolio of things other than real estate. Okay. So real estate helps them balance, uh, and offset gains, uh, and, you know, globally enhances their, their global, you know,
0: their global return here. Right. So exactly. Well, thank you so much for being on. I think it's amazing. I love the value you dropped. I love that you're an entrepreneur at heart like myself. You know, the future looks good. And uh,
1: I hope to uh, do a deal with you soon.
0: I can't wait, man. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Okay, great. Thanks for having me.